Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Welcome to Ask Amy from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Solving your parenting dilemmas one question at a time. This week's question comes from Rachel on Facebook who says, Help. My two-year-old used to sleep from seven to seven. It was glorious. We recently had to start quarantining again due to exposure at my job. Since then, she has started waking up earlier and earlier. We pushed her bedtime back to 7.30, but it hasn't made a difference. This morning, she was up at 5.30. I was thinking about one of those clocks with the light in her room, but I'm not sure she would understand that yet. Help. Okay, Rachel, here to help. I am an expert on uh, early rising small children because I was a fellow sufferer. 8 a.m. was often nap time for my youngest child, whoever that was, and me to also go back to bed at 8 a.m. after a full morning. So I kind of think like some kids are just like this and there are things you can do and then you have to do them again. But there are there are a bunch of tricks that helped along the way for me. So I hope some of these will work for you. Uh, I was going to suggest pushing her bedtime back. You did that already. It's not working. Doesn't necessarily work, right? Like if you're changing their sort of circadian rhythm, it could push it later, but it might actually push it earlier, as sounds like may have happened in this case. I mean, something's happened, right? Some knob has turned to make her start getting up at 530. So I think what you need to do first is sort of reset the knobs and then start moving them one at a time. You're quarantining and you move the bedtime later and there was just a late savings time. There's a couple of different things happening. So put things back the way they were to the extent that's possible and then let the quarantining say be the only knob that's different. I think it's interesting that you highlighted that because it could be right. I'm wondering what's the possible connection between the change in your routine and the change in her sleep. Is she not getting as much sunshine as she was? Is there not as much physical activity? Were there sort of routines and signifiers in her day when you were more out and about that you can put back in or add in a different way? You know, if she had snack every day at 2 p.m. and a little bit of quiet time on the couch when she came back from seeing her little friend, can you still sort of put those routines in place so she has the sort of same signposts as she goes through her day? You ask about the alarm clock and wonder if she's too young. Yes, I do think two can be a little bit too young for some of the alarm clocks that have suns and moons and have, oh, a slowly dawning daylight, all that stuff. You can try them. The best alarm clock for me in this situation was one that I made 
myself for my kids. I had an old school digital alarm clock like you can, you know, get at the drugstore with the digital numbers. I put a piece of paper covering the minute numbers because those are not information that a two, three-year-old can use. So you just saw the hour. So they just saw the five or the six. Again, they don't know what the five or the six is. That doesn't matter. And then I drew on the piece of paper that if it was a, a five, you know, that weird squared off five and a digital clock, that that was a picture. I did a picture of a moon sleeping. And then if there was a six, it was a picture of the sun waking up. So that my child, again, two is a little young, two and a half heading for three, you can start to show that to them and say, oh, look at that. When you see this shape, it means it's night, night time. When you see this shape, it means it's time to wake up. Two is probably too young. Three is starting to get it. But all of that stuff was easier for my kid than trying to read this clock that was slowly changing from one thing to another. Darkness is very important in a little one's room that's waking up too early. Just forget aesthetics for the time being. You need it as dark as possible. There is something called Ready Shade, R-E-D-I, Ready Shade. Not a sponsor, just a great product. I'm putting a link up in the show notes for this episode. It's blackout paper shades that come with like a, a sticky strip, like on an envelope almost. And you can stick them to the inside of your window frame and they can hang down as shades or behind whatever shades or beautiful window treatments you might have have going on. It makes it dark, like deep space dark. That definitely helps. So does silence. If you don't have silence, I mean, who has silence, right? If there's a leaf blower outside or a dog barking next door, get a white noise machine. I remember my sister-in-law, they had four kids By the time the youngest of the four, she hit this white noise machine so loud. It sounded like a jet engine was in the kid's room, but the kid could sleep because she couldn't hear her brothers and sisters around the house. You don't say if your daughter is still in a crib or not. If you have an early riser, a crib would be better. If she's still in a crib, keep her there. If she's out of a crib and in a bed, I wonder if you might be able to get her back in one if you have it around. Because I think what's really happening here. You might not be able to get her to not open her eyes at 5.30, but what you want to get her to do is go back to sleep when she opens her eyes. And part of that is giving her options. Like a two-year-old can be in a crib with a couple of books and a stuffed animal and kind of keep themselves occupied for a little while. If there's like a tiny night light, it's not deep space dark in the room, but the, the daylight isn't coming in. There's just enough light for them to look around, feel safe, grab their stuffed animal, lie back down. Those stuffed animals, by the way, are your friends. You can talk to the stuffed animals in front of your little one. Let her overhear you talking to them about, you know how tired they are. You know when your daughter wakes up in the morning and they're still so sleepy, they still want to go night-night. So she's going to be really quiet and she's going to go back to sleep with you and sleep next to you because you're still tired. You need more night-night. It can work. If you get up with your daughter, you have to be careful of the secondary game. If you're going to be up, keep it boring, right? I mean, you have to be with her, but make sure she's not getting her favorite show at 530. Make sure she's not getting mommy's undivided attention and 
cuddles and three stories and whatever at, at 5.30. The fun doesn't start until it's time to be up. Obviously, you have to keep her safe. You have to be occupying her if she can't be in a crib with books, but you can keep it pretty boring so that when she rolls over, she still feels kind of tired. She doesn't call for you. She might go back to sleep for a little while longer. I hope some of these suggestions work. Keep at it, Rachel, because as I don't have to tell you, every time your kid has a cold or every time you go away for the weekend or whatever, these things rear their heads. But in this quarantine time, if we're all going to be locked down and home a little more, this is time to play with these knobs one at a time, figure out what's waking her up and see if you can make it better once and for all. Send us your parenting questions and we might answer yours next. Email us questions at whatfreshhealthpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 